0: Chapter 13 Stopped Payment The very Tuesday morning on which Mr. Johnson was going to show fashions the postwoman brought two letters to the house I say the postwoman but I should say the postman's wife he was a lame shoemaker a very clean honest man much respected in the town but he had never brought the letters round except on unusual occasions such as Christmas day or good friday and on those days the letters, which should have been delivered at eight in the morning, did not make their appearance until two or three in the afternoon, for everyone liked poor Thomas, and gave him a welcome on these festive, festive occasions. He used to say he was willy-starved-feeding, for there were three or four houses where naught would serve him, but he must share in their breakfast. And by the time he had done his last breakfast, he came to some other friend who was beginning dinner, but come what might in the way of temptation, Tom was always sober, civil, and smiling, as Miss Jenkins and as Miss Jenkins used to say, it was a lesson in patience that she doubted not would call out that precious quality in some minds, where, but for Thomas, it might have lain dormant and undiscovered. Patience was certainly very dormant in Miss Jenkins's mind. She was always expecting letters, and always drumming on the table until the postwoman had called or gone past. On Christmas Day and Good Friday, she drummed from breakfast till church, from church time till two o'clock, unless when the fire wanted stirring, "'when she invariably knocked down the fire irons "'and scolded Miss Maddie for it. "'But equally certain was the hearty welcome "'and the good dinner for Thomas, "'Miss Jenkins standing over him like a bold dragoon, "'questioning him as to his children, "'what they were doing, what school they went to, "'upbraiding him if another was likely to make its appearance, "'but sending even the little babies the shilling and mince pie, "'which was her gift to all the children, "'with half a crown in addition for both father and mother.' "'The post was not half so much consequence to dear Miss Maddie. "'But not for the world would she have diminished Thomas's welcome, "'and his dole, though I could see that she felt rather shy over the ceremony, "'which had been regarded by Miss Jenkins as a glorious opportunity "'for giving advice and benefiting her fellow creatures. "'Miss Maddie would steal the money all in a lump in his hand, "'as if she were ashamed of herself. "'Miss Jenkins gave him each individual coin separate with a "'there, that's for you, that's for Jenny, etc.' Miss Maddie would even beckon Martha out of the kitchen while he ate his food, and once, to my knowledge, winked at its rapid disappearance into a blue cotton pocket handkerchief. Miss Jenkins almost scolded him if he did not leave a clean plate, however heaped it might have been, and gave an injunction with every mouthful. I have often wandered a long way from the two letters that awaited us on the breakfast table Oh sorry, I have wondered a long way from the two letters that awaited us on the breakfast table that Tuesday morning. Mine was from my father. Miss Maddie's was printed. My father's was just a man's letter. I mean, it was very dull, and gave no information beyond that he was well, that they had had a good deal of rain, that trade was very stagnant, and there were many disagreeable rumors afloat. He then asked me if I knew whether Miss Matty still retained her shares in the town and country bank, as there were very unpleasant reports about it, though nothing more than he had always foreseen and had prophesied to Miss Jenkins years ago, when she would invest their little property in it the only unwise step that clever woman had ever taken, to his knowledge. The only time she had ever acted against his, vi- his advice, I knew. However, if anything had gone wrong, of course I was not to think of leaving Miss Maddie while I could be of any use, etc. Who is your letter from, my dear? Mine is a very civil invitation, signed Edwin Wilson, inviting me to attend an important meeting of the shareholders of the town and country bank to be held in Drumble on Thursday the 21st i am sure it is very attentive of them to remember me i did not like to hear of this important meeting for though i did not know much about business i feared it confirmed what my father said however i thought thought ill news always came fast enough so i resolved to say nothing about my alarm and merely told her that my father was well and sent his kind regards to her she kept turning over and admiring her letter at last she spoke I remember their sending one to D- Deborah just like this, but I did not, but that I did not wonder at, for every one knew she was so clear-headed. I am afraid I could not be, mu- I could not help them much. Indeed, if they came to accounts, I should be quite in the way, for I never could do sums in my head. Deborah, I know, rather wished to go and went so far as to order a new bonnet for the occasion, but when the time came, she had a bad cold, so they sent her a very polite account of what they had done chosen a director, I think it was. Do you think they want me to help them choose a director? I am sure I should choose your father at once. My father has no shares in the bank, said I. Oh, no, I remember. He objected very much to Deborah's buying any, I believe. But she was quite the woman of business, and always judged for herself, and here you see they have paid eight percent all these years. It was a very uncomfortable subject to me, with my half-knowledge, so I thought I would change the conversation— and asked at what time she thought we had better go and see the fashions. Well, my dear, she said, the thing is this, it is not etiquette to go till after twelve, but then you see all Cranford will be there, and one does not like to be too curious about dress and trimmings and caps with all the world looking on. It is never genteel to be over-curious on these occasions. Deborah had the knack of always looking as if the latest fashion was nothing new to her, a manner she had caught from Lady Arley, who did see all the new modes at London, you know. So I thought we would just slip down this morning, soon after breakfast, for I do want a half pound of tea, and then we could go up and examine the things at our leisure, and see exactly how my new silk gown must be made, and then, after twelve, we could go with our minds disengaged and free from thoughts of dress. We began to talk of Miss Maddie's new silk gown. I discovered that it would be really the first time in her life that she had had to choose anything of consequence for herself. For Miss Jenkins had always been the more decided character whatever her taste might have been and it is astonishing how such people carry the world before them by the mere force of will Miss Maddie anticipated the sight of the glossy folds with as much in delight as if the five sovereigns set apart for the purchase could buy all the silks in the shop and remembering my own loss of two hours in a toy shop before i could tell on what wonder to spend a silver threepence i was very glad that we were going early that dear miss maddie might have the leisure might have leisure for the delights of perplexity if a happy sea green could not be wet, met with the ground was <clears throat> if a happy sea green could be met with the ground was to be sea green if not she inclined to maize and i to silver gray and we discussed the requisite number of breaths until we arrived at the shop door we were to buy the tea select the silk and then clamber up the iron corkscrew stairs that led into what was once a loft "'though now a fashion showroom. "'The young men at Mr. Johnson's "'had on their best looks "'and their best cravats "'and pivoted themselves over the counter "'with surprisingly ac- surprising activity. "'They wanted to show, up, show us upstairs at once, "'but on the principle of business first "'and pleasure afterwards. "'We stayed to purchase the tea. "'Here Miss Matty's absence of mind betrayed itself. "'If she was made aware "'that she had been drinking green tea at any time, "'she always thought it her duty "'to lie awake half through the night afterward.' I have known her to take it in ignorance many a time without such effects. And consequently, green tea was prohibited the house. Yet today she herself asked for the obnoxious article, under the impression that she was talking about the silk. However, the mistake was soon rectified, and then the silks were unrolled in good truth. By this time the shop was pretty well filled, for it was Cranford Market Day, and many of the farmers and country people from the neighbourhood round came in. Sleeking down their hair... And glancing shyly about from under their eyelids, as anxious to take back some notion of the unusual gaiety to the mistress or the lasses at home, and yet feeling that they were out of place among the smart shopmen in gay shawls and summer prints. One honest looking man, however, made his way up to the counter at which we stood and boldly asked to look at a shawl or two. The other country folk confined themselves to the grocery side. "'But our neighbour was evidently too full of some kind intention towards mistress, wife, or daughter to be shy, "'and it soon became a question with me whether he or Miss Maddie would keep their shopmen the longest time. "'He thought each shawl more beautiful than the the last. "'And as for Miss Maddie, she smiled and sighed over each fresh bale that was brought out, "'one colour set off another, and the heap together would, as she said, make even the rainbow look poor.' "'I am afraid,' said she, hesitating, "'whichever I choose, I shall wish I had taken another. "'Look at this lovely crimson! It would be so warm in winter! "'But spring is coming on, you know. I wish I could have a gown for every season,' said she, dropping her voice, "'as we all did in Cranford whenever we talked of anything we wished for but could not afford. "'However,' she continued in a louder and more cheerful tone, "'it would give me a great deal of trouble to take care of them if I had them, so I think I'll only take one. "'But which must it be, my dear?' "'and now she hovered over a lilac with yellow spots, "'while I pulled out a quiet sage-green "'that had faded into into insignificance "'under the more brilliant colours, "'but which was nevertheless a good silk in its humble way. "'Our attention was called off our neighbour. "'He had chosen a shawl of about thirty shillings value, "'and his face looked broadly happy, "'under the anticipation, no doubt, "'of the pleasant surprise he should give "'to some Molly or Jenny at home. "'He had tugged a leathern purse out of his breeches pocket, "'and had offered a five-pound note in payment for his shawl, "'and for some parcels which had been brought round to him from the grocery counter. "'It was just at this point that he attracted our notice. "'The shopman was examining the note with a puzzled, doubtful air. "'Uh, Town and Country Bank? "'I am not sure, sir, but I believe we have received a warning against notes "'issued by this bank only this morning. "'I will just step and ask Mr. Johnson, sir, "'but I am afraid I must trouble you for payment in cash or note of a different bank.' "'I never saw a man's countenance fall so suddenly into dismay and bewilderment. "'It was almost piteous to see the rapid change. "'Dang it!' said he, striking his fist down on the table. "'As to try which was the harder, "'the chap talks as if notes and gold were to be had for the picking up!' "'Miss Maddie had forgotten her silk gown and her interest for the man. "'I don't think she had caught the name of the bank, "'and in my nervous cowardice I was anxious that she should not.' "'and so I began admiring the yellow-spotted lilac gown "'that I had been utterly condemning only a minute before. "'But it was of no use. "'What bank was it? "'I mean, what bank did your note belong to? "'Town and Country Bank.' "'Let me see it,' said she quietly to the shopman, "'gently taking it out of his hand, "'as he brought it back to return it to the farmer. "'Mr. Johnson was very sorry, "'but from information he had received, "'the notes issued by that bank "'were little better than waste paper.' "'I don't understand it,' said Miss Mattie to me in a low voice. "That—that "'That is our bank, is it not? The Town and Country Bank?' "'Yes,' said I, "'this lilac silk will just match the ribbons and your new cap, I believe,' "'I continued, holding up the folds dust to catch the light, "'and wishing that the man would make haste and be gone. "'And yet having a new wonder that had only just sprung up, "'how far it was wise or right in me to allow Miss Matty "'to make this expensive purchase, "'if the affairs of the bank were really so bad "'as the refusal of the note implied.' "'but Miss Mattie put on the soft, dignified manner peculiar to her, "'rarely used, yet which became her so well, "'and laying her hand gently on mine. "'She said, "'Never mind the silks for a few minutes, dear. "'I don't understand you, sir,' turning to the shopman, "'who had been attending to the farmer. "'Is this a forged note?' "'Oh, no, ma'am, it is a true note of its kind. "'But you see, ma'am, it is a joint-stock bank, "'and there are reports out that it is likely to break. "'Mr. Johnson is only doing his duty, ma'am, "'as I am sure Mr. Dobson knows.' but Mr. John- Mr. Dobson could not respond to the appealing bow by any answering smile. He was turning the note absently over in his fingers, looking gloomily enough at the parcel containing the lately chosen shawl. "'It's hard upon a poor man,' said he, "'as earned every farthing with the sweat of his brow. "'However, there's no help for it. "'You must take back your shawl, my man. Lizzie must do it with her cloak for a while. "'And yawn figs for the little ones, I promised them to him. "'I'll take them, but the bacco and the other things?' "'I will give you five sovereigns for your note, my good man,' said Miss Maddy. "'I think there is some great mistake about it, for I am one of the shareholders, "'and I am sure they would have told me if things had not been going on right.' The shopman whispered a word or two across the table to Miss Maddy. She looked at him with a dubious air. "'Perhaps so,' she said, "'but I don't pretend to understand business. "'I only know that if it is going to fail, "'and if honest people are to lose their money because they have taken out notes—' "'I can't explain myself,' said she, suddenly becoming aware that she had got into a long sentence with four people for audience. "'Only I would rather exchange my gold for the note, if you please,' turning to the farmer, then, "'and then you can take your wife the shawl. "'It's only going without my gown a few days longer,' she continued, speaking to me. "'Then I have no doubt everything will be cleared up.' "'But what if it is cleared up the wrong way?' said I. "'Why? Then it will only have been common honesty in me as a shareholder to have given this good man the money.' I am quite clear about it in my own mind, but, as you know, I can never speak quite as comprehensibly as others can. Only you must give me your note, Mr. Dobson, if you please, and go on with your purchases with these sovereigns. The man looked at her with silent gratitude, too awkward to put his thanks into words, but he hung back for a minute or two, fumbling with his note. I've loathed to make another lose instead of me, if it is lost. But, you see, five pounds is a deal of money to a man with a family, and, as you say, ten to one in a day or two, the note will be as good as gold again.' "'No hope of that, my friend,' said the shopman. "'The more reason why I should take it,' said Miss Mattie quietly. "'She pushed her sovereigns toward the man, who slowly laid down his note in exchange. "'Thank you. I will wait a day or two, perhaps, before I purchase any of these silks. "'Perhaps you will have a gra- then have a greater choice. "'My dear, will you come upstairs?' "'We inspected the fashions with as minute and curious an interest, "'as if the gown to be made after them had been bought.' "'I did not see that the little event in the shop below "'had in the least dampened Miss Matty's curiosity "'as to the make of sleeves or the sit of skirts. "'She once or twice exchanged congratulations with me "'on her private and leisurely view of the bonnets and shawls. "'But I was, for all the time, "'not so sure that our examination was so utterly private, "'for I caught glimpses of a figure "'dodging behind the cloaks and mantles, "'and by a dexterous move I came face to face with Miss Pole, "'also in mourning costume.' the principal feature of which was her being without teeth and wearing a veil to conceal the deficiency, come upon the same errand as herself, But she quickly took her departure, because, as she said, she had a bad headache and did not feel herself up to conversation. As we came down through the shop, the civil Mr. Johnson was waiting for us. He had been informed of the exchange of the note for gold, and with much good feeling and real kindness— but with little want of tact, he wished to condo- condole with Miss Matty and impress upon her the true state of the case. I could only hope that he had heard an exaggerated rumor, for he said that her shares were worse than nothing, at the, the, and that the bank could not pay a shilling in the pound. I was glad that Miss Matty still seemed a little incredulous, but I could not tell how much of this was real or assumed, with that self-control which seemed habitual to ladies of Miss Matty's standing in Cranford who would have thought their dignity compromised by the slightest expression of surprise, dismay, or any similar feeling to an inferior in station or in a public shop. However, we walked home silent, very silently. I am ashamed to say I believe I was rather vexed and annoyed at Miss Mattie's conduct in taking that note to herself so decidedly. I had set my heart upon her having a new silk gown, which she wanted sadly. In general, she was so undecided anybody might turn her round— "'In this case I had felt it was no use attempting it, "'but I was not the less put out at the result. "'Somehow, after twelve o'clock, "'we both acknowledged to a sated curiosity about the fashions "'and to a certain fatigue of body, "'which was, in fact, depression of mind, "'that indisposed us to go out again. "'But still we never spoke of the note, "'till all at once something possessed me to ask Miss Maddy "'if she would think it her duty to offer sovereigns "'for all the notes of the town and country bank she met with.' I could have bitten my tongue out the minute I had said it. She looked up rather sadly, as if I had thrown a new perplexity into her already distressed mind, and for a minute or two she did not speak. Then she said, my own dear Miss Maddie, without a shade of reproach in her voice, My dear, I never feel as if my mind was what people call very strong, and it's often hard enough work for me to settle what I ought to do with the case right before me. I was very thankful to— "'I was very thankful that I saw my duty this morning with the poor man standing by me. "'But it's rather a strain upon me to keep thinking and thinking what I should do if such and such a thing happened, and I believe I'd rather wait and see what really does come, and I don't doubt I shall be helped then, if I don't fidget myself and get too anxious beforehand. "'You know, love, I am not like Deborah. "'If Deborah had lived, I have no doubt she would have seen after them, "'before they had got themselves into this state. "'We had neither of us much appetite for dinner.' "'though we tried to talk cheerfully about indifferent things. "'When we returned into the drawing-room, "'Miss Maddie unlocked her desk "'and began to look over her account-books. "'I was so penitent for what I had said in the morning "'that I did not choose to take upon myself "'the presumption to suppose that I could assist her. "'I rather left her alone, as, with puzzled brow, "'her eye followed her pen up and down the ruled page. "'By and by she shut the book, "'locked her desk, and came and drew a chair to mine, "'where I sat in moody silence.' in moody sorrow over the fire i stole my hand into hers she clasped it but not, but did not speak a word at last she said with forced composure in her voice if that bank goes wrong i shall lose one hundred and forty nine pounds thirteen shillings and four pence a year i shall only have thirteen pounds a year left i squeezed her hand hard and tight i did not know what to say presently it was too dark to see her face "'I felt her fingers work convulsively in my grasp, "'and I knew she was going to speak again. "'I heard the sobs in her voice as she said, "'I hope it's not wrong, not wicked, "'but, oh, I am so glad poor Deborah spared this. "'She could not have borne to come down in the world. "'She had not such a noble, lofty spirit.' "'This was all she said about the sister "'who had insisted upon investing their little property "'in that unlucky bank. "'We were later in lighting the candle than usual that night, "'and until that light shamed us into speaking,' We sat together very silently and sadly. However, we took to our work after tea with a kind of forced cheerfulness, which soon became real as far as it went. Talking of that never-ending wonder, Lady Glenmire's engagement, Miss maddie was almost coming round to think it a good thing. I don't mean to deny that men are troublesome in a house. I don't judge from my own experience, for my father was neatness itself and wiped his shoes on coming in as carefully as any woman but still a man has a sort of knowledge of what should be done in difficulties, that it is very pleasant to have one at hand ready to lean upon. Now, Lady Glenmire, instead of being tossed about and wondering where she is to settle, will be certain of a home among pleasant and kind people, such as our good Miss Pole and Mrs. Forrester, and Mr. Hoggins is really a very personable man. And as for his manners, why, if they are not very polished, I have known people with very good hearts and very clever minds, too, who were not what some people reckoned refined, but who were both true and tender. She fell off into a soft reverie about Mr. Holbrook, and I did not interrupt her. I was so busy maturing a plan I had had in my mind for some days, but which this threatened failure of the bank had brought to a crisis. That night, after Miss Maddy went to bed, I treacherously lighted the candle again, and sat down in the drawing-room to compose a letter to the Aga Jenkins, a letter which should affect him, if he were Peter, and yet seem a mere statement of dry facts. If he were a stranger, the church clock pealed out too, before I had done. The next morning news came, both official and otherwise, that the town and country bank had stopped payment. Miss Mattie was ruined. She tried to speak quietly to me, but when she came to the actual fact that she would have but about five shillings a week to live upon, she could not restrain a few tears. "I am not crying for myself, dear," she said, wiping them away. "'I believe I am crying for the very silly thought "'of how my mother would grieve if she could know. "'She always cared for us so much more than for herself. "'But many a poor person has less, "'and I am not very extravagant. "'And thank God, when the neck of mutton "'and the Martha's wages and the rent are paid, "'I have not a farthing owing. "'Poor Martha, I think she'll be sorry to leave me.' "'Miss Maddie smiled at me through her tears, "'and she would have fain had me see only the smile, "'not the tears.'